This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, seventh day of April 2023. It's Easter weekend. It's Masters weekend. Um, The Masters got started yesterday. They have moved tee times up a half an hour today. Uh, It is currently raining here in western North Carolina slash northern Georgia, and uh, uh, we've got some thunderstorms in the area. I, and hopefully my, my satellite internet will hang in there so we can continue to do our show this morning. Um, but they've moved the times up. The weather is not great for the Masters this weekend. Temperatures are actually supposed to dip and be in the 50s. Um, so uh, it's good that they had yesterday, uh, but it could be a dicey weekend uh in Augusta, Georgia. The only hope is is that there's not a lot of thunderstorms. They can play through the rain, but if uh, the thunder and lightning comes, then obviously they will shut things down. We'll get to a little bit more about the Masters in a minute. Um, we've got some uh, Red Sox news. Jesus, they won a game. you know, And uh, <laughs> I've got plenty to say about that. I mean, obviously you're happy that they won the game, but still some concerns in Boston. Before we get to that, uh, I'm sure everybody has seen this by now, but this is one of the most incredible things I have ever seen, and it's a product of the sign, you know, of the times that we live in now. The political polarization in our country. Uh, this is the next state over for me. The uh, Tennessee is 15 or 20 minutes to the the west of me, and uh, yesterday they expelled two members of their state house of representatives because they uh, played a role in a protest calling for gun control after, remember the school shooting that happened a week or so ago or a couple of weeks ago in uh, at the Christian school in Tennessee where uh, somebody came in and shot the place up and killed six people. And so uh, there was a protest launched by three people calling for gun control. And th- in retaliation, the Republicans uh, said, well, we didn't like that, so we're going to throw you out. Um, look, most uh, state Senate, state houses have rules to be able to expel members. But those things are usually held for things that are uh, ethics violations or things that are really heinous. This was flat-out political retaliation. I mean, Tennessee is a place that has con- constantly and continuously loosened gun regulations. You know, you don't need to have a permit to carry. I mean, you know, it, they've just made it easier and easier and easier. And, and look, I don't care whether you are Republican or whether you are Democrat. Any Republican, and this is hard for me because I was a Republican for most of my life until Donald Trump, but 
even when I was a Republican, I had common sense. And that's the problem with with politics today. It's common sense doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. All that matters is what party am I and what party line am I going to spout? And of course, the party line that we're going to spout anytime guns comes up is the Second Amendment. And I'm not going to get into that again. We've talked about it here on the show ad, ad nauseum about how I guarantee you our founding fathers would not have uh, wanted the Second Amendment to be used in the way it's being used now. When the Second Amendment was written, we had muskets and muzzle loaders. We didn't have semi-automatic weapons. We just fought a war against uh, Great Britain to, uh, to get our freedom. And there was great distrust of government as we have a huge clap of lightning and thunder outside. Well, hopefully we keep the power. Um, so there was there was huge distrust of government, and so militia was necessary. That's not the case these days, but people in 2023 are acting like it's 1776 and trying to use that as, as the reason that we can't have gun control. It's ludicrous, as our children continue to die when we send them to school. But the worst part about this is, and there is no one that will ever convince me otherwise. And you know how I sometimes rail about racial things on this program, about how I'm tired of everything being driven and boiled down to race. Because I, I think, I mean, obviously there is racism in this country. There is no question there is racism in this country. But not everything is about race. Well, yesterday there were three Democrats up for expulsion. Two black guys and a white woman. Hmm. Guess who got expelled here in the Deep South? That's correct. The two black guys. And it's not just those guys, by the way, that think it's racist. The white woman who was spared being expelled by one vote. You know what she said? She said, I believe skin color played a role in that. You think? You know, she is a retired school teacher, older woman, and, you know, she just came right out and said it. And she's right. There's no doubt. And Republicans that try to tell you that's not the case, those are the same people that would be peeing on your boots and telling you it's a rainstorm. But this is just disgusting. And the thing that concerns me is that now people are going to look at what Tennessee did, and we're going to have other legislators around the country, other state legislatures, going to say, hey, you know what? We should try that. We don't like what they did. We don't like what they said. Let's get them out. So there's going to have to be a special election for those two seats. The funny part is they, they can be a temporary uh, person put in place uh, to fill that seat. But the people that got expelled when they have the special election can actually run again and can get elected again. And if they do get elected, by the way, they can't be expelled for the same thing because there is a rule uh, in the Tennessee Constitution that lawmakers cannot be expelled for the same offense twice. So that ought to be fun. I hope they do run again. I hope they do get in. And the greatest thing that one of these guys said is that got expelled he gave a speech, a very impassioned speech. I, I read the whole thing on, on Twitter. He said, we called for you to ban assault weapons, and you responded with an assault on democracy. Welcome to 2023. 
Welcome to the 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 blowback of the Donald Trump era because that's what this all is. Shameful. They should, those people in that House of Representatives in the state of Tennessee should be ashamed of themselves. Um, you know, and, and and I hope that there is some some repercussions for this. I don't know what those would be, but you know, it's just ludicrous. And and when you know, people standing up because kids are getting killed in school, and we're going to expel them because they're passionate about that subject. What the hell is the matter with us? Um, on the sports note, uh, we've been talking the last couple of days about Angel Reese and her comments, the LSU basketball player, about going to visit the Obamas instead of going to visit the Bidens at the White House, yada, 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 and being pissed off at everybody and just basically making a spectacle of herself and look at me. And, well, you know, look, it's worked for her. She's gotten another half a million people on uh, following her Instagram account, so she's up to a million people, so... Uh, mission accomplished, I guess. She can profit off of her name, image, and likeness now, make a little bit more money. You know, I mean, uh, cynical, I know, I know. But yesterday, um, the a university uh, spokesman for at LSU said that the women's basketball team is going to accept the invitation from Joe Biden to visit the White House. <laughs> uh, no date's been set, but they are going to go. Uh, and... and uh, uh, they said they, uh, the spokesperson said they couldn't confirm whether all the players and coaches would be able to attend. Angel Reese better not get on that plane. Because if she does, she's a hypocrite. You want to spout those things you want to spout? Fine. Live it. Don't go. Kim Mulkey should just tell her, don't bother. We don't need that distraction of you at the White House. Don't go. All right, let's get to, <laughs> sorry, all right, sorry, I'm okay, I'm all right now. I just needed to get that out. You know how it is when you you read stuff or you see stuff and the pressure builds up. This is my this is my outlet and you lucky people get to listen to that. So, uh anyway, the uh, Masters yesterday. Uh look. Um there's been a, a couple of storylines. Obviously, number 1 Tiger Woods because if Tiger Woods is breathing, he's going to be the storyline. If he's breathing and on a golf course, everybody wants to know what Tiger's doing. So that was one of the storylines. The other storyline, of course, was the 18 golfers from the Live Tour that are at the Masters Tournament. They are uh, obviously excluded from PGA Tour events after uh, defecting over to the uh, Saudi-backed Live Tour. But the majors, at least for this year, are allowing these players in that have earned the right to be in. Those things are going to change as uh, people no longer have uh, uh, automatic qualifiers or uh world ranking points because the live players aren't getting world ranking points. So that's going to change. But uh, Brooks Kepka, who is one of those defectors to the live tour, is in the mix. He is tied for the lead at seven under. Shot a 65 yesterday. Uh, and he is uh, tied atop with uh, Victor Hovland and John Rahm. Uh, John Rahm, of course, uh, one of the top players on the PGA Tour. And I think I, he, I believe he's ranked second or third. Uh, the defending champion Scotty Scheffler was four under for the day. Uh, he is tied with Shane Lowry and Adam Scott. Um, Tiger Woods. It's a tough day for Tiger. Tiger was limping noticeably, um, and and don't know. 
uh, honestly, if he's going to be even if he even if he manages to make the cut today, he shot a two over par seventy four. But even if he manages to make the cut. When you looked at him yesterday, you wonder if there's any way in hell he's going to be able to walk four rounds. You know, with that surgically repaired leg, look, the guy's lucky he's walking at all. And, uh, you know, he obviously wants to compete. He obviously wants to win. He doesn't do anything if he doesn't think he can win. I get that. But it was painful watching him yesterday. It really was. Um. And nobody needs to feel bad for Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods has had one of the greatest careers in the history of golf. In my mind, he is probably the second greatest golfer in history behind Jack Nicklaus. We can argue that for a while, too. But uh, So nobody needs to feel badly for Tiger Woods. But it is difficult to watch a guy that has been so great and still has that drive to have his body physically not be able to do things anymore. You know, when Jack won at the Masters in 86 at the age of 46, which was one of the greatest final rounds in golf history, and I watched the entire thing, and I will never forget it. And I remember being so thrilled for Jack. I mean, you know, and I don't know Jack Nicklaus, and he doesn't know me. But I was almost, I was emotional watching him. Not just, I mean, not just because it was great. I was emotional. I was almost, you know, tearful watching him at the age of 46 when the Masters, at the time, the oldest uh, major champion ever. Tiger's a year older than that. And Jack Nicholas at the time uh, that he won, he was pretty healthy. I mean, he had some back trouble towards the end of his career. But he was healthy, you know. He was he was not anywhere near in the the physical wreck that Tiger Woods is with the back and the knees and everything, all the surgeries that he's had. So nobody f- needs to feel badly for him. But it is hard to watch him now and not f- feel something along those lines, you know. And some people would say, well, why doesn't he just you know stop right off into the sunset? You, you had a great career and just call it a day. And that's easy for you and I to say. But when you have that drive to compete, how do you do that? It's the same reason that people that were high school and college athletes, and when they get to be older, they still play. You know, guys that uh, were you know high school, college baseball players still playing baseball. Most a lot of them into their thirties and forties. You know, in you know municipal leagues locally because they miss. They love the game. They love the competition. You know. Uh, you know, guys playing in, uh, you know, basketball leagues into their 30s because they can. You know, it's 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 hard to turn that off. Hell, I played I played softball until I was 46 or 47 years old till I couldn't get out of my car one day after a doubleheader. And I said, you know what? This is a, this season's my last. I can't do this anymore. But when you love a game and you love playing and you love the competition, you, you keep playing. By the way, not, not not trying to put myself in the same uh, category as some great athlete, believe me. Uh, <laughs> believe me. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's hard not to feel badly for Tiger. The cut is probably going to be somewhere between one over and three over today. A lot will depend on the scores early. Um, if there's rain, how receptive the greens are because it will soften things up. The course was a... Uh, a little tighter yesterday than it may be today. 
Um, so we'll have to see. Right now, the projected cut is one over, but again, it will depend on what happens. And uh, Tiger Woods would be outside the cut if that happens. So we'll see. Um, you know, they have teed off in the second round. Uh, some of the golfers are already on their uh, sixth hole as uh, they try to get in as much golf as they can. The chances of them being able to finish today are small. By the way, uh, Brooks Kepka has already birdied a hole in the second round, so he leads uh, by himself uh, at eight under par. And believe you me, the 18 guys that are there from the Live Tour want him to win like nobody's business because they want to be able to throw up that middle finger at the PGA Tour. And look, I was, uh, I you know, I like Brooks Kepka, and he's he's been a, a a hell of a champion. You know, this is a guy that uh, won the, the 2019 PGA Championship. It was his fourth major in three years, which gave him a five year exemption to the Masters. So he's got one more next year. So unless he wins the Masters this year or next, this could be the last two he plays, unless the Live Tour ends up. Uh, uh, folding and and these guys are allowed back into the PGA Tour, but right now he leads at uh, eight under par. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that as we go along. The other great story yesterday, by the way, the kind of the third story that and it wasn't a story before the tournament started, but uh, the U.S. Amateur Champion Sam Bennett. How about four under par? A bogey free round. He had a pair of bogeys and a chip in eagle. How about that? Uh, he's supposed to tee off at uh, 10 o'clock this morning. But, man, what a great story that is. I mean, you know, uh, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he's the only amateur in the field. He's 23 years old. And uh, good for him. Good for him. Uh, you know, and, and again, you love you love stories like that. You know, I mean, he's not going to win the tournament, but the 400 uh, at Augusta? Wow. That's something else. Uh, look, it's 25 minutes past the hour. We've got some baseball stuff to get to, so uh, we'll take a break because my rant kind of uh, went a little bit long. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll take a look at what happened uh, in Detroit as the Boston Red Sox uh, were there for the uh, home opener in Detroit and the celebrations for uh, Miggy Cabrera and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Didn't start out well for Boston. It ended well. Um, but I still have to be honest, I still don't have a great feeling uh, for what is going to happen with this Red Sox, Red Sox team. I, I was optimistic start of the season, and I know I have to give Chris Sale uh, time. He's pitched like 48 innings over the last three years. And by the way, I, I know that our uh, our signal's cutting in and out. Uh, it's pouring rain here, so I know the our satellite internet is being affected. But uh, anyway, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll we'll break down what happened in Detroit yesterday and and how concerned we should be about Chris Sale and this Boston Red Sox team. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 28 minutes past the hour here in a pouring rain filled. Hayesville, North Carolina, and uh, hopefully our signal will hang in there. I know it's been cutting in and out, but thanks for hanging with us. Um, so the Red Sox were in Detroit yesterday and uh, for the uh, season opener, and you're coming off a series where you got swept by the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team with the second or third lowest payroll in baseball, and my God, the sky is falling. And 
I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if the Reds. I'm telling you right now, if the if the Red Sox don't make the playoffs, which you know, and there's a decent chance that they won't. I'm going to look back at this Pittsburgh Pirates series and tell you that's where everything went wrong, right? And then you go to Detroit. Look, they got to sweep this series in Detroit. And I don't mean – look, I understand. Seven games in, 155 to go. The Sox are three and four. Relax, Gene. Relax. But I'm telling you right now, you cannot start the season with the Orioles, the Pirates, and the uh, Tigers and be under 500. I mean, hell, at best, they're going to be, you know, a game over 500 after those nine games and then have to go to Tampa for four. Ah! A Tampa team that's won six in a row. Good luck. But I'm going to look back at that and say that's, you know, they should have been eight and two. at the, Or, I mean, eight and one or seven and two at the end of those nine games. Not five and four. And that's if you sweep them all. That's a big if. So yesterday they're playing the Tigers, and you know obviously Chris Sale's on the mound. You go, way to go, Chris! You know everybody's happy to have him back. And what does he do? He walks the first two guys on eight pitches. Eight pitches! Holy crap! Now, you know I get it. Um, he got out of it, and he comes back to the dugout, and. Uh, and uh, Alex Cora says something to him along the lines of, hey, nice strategy, uh, which made him laugh. Uh, you know, but then he continues to struggle with his location. You know, he he, itchu- he issues his third four-pitch walk with one out in the second. So he's walked three guys, and all four of them are on four pitches. Right? So what does he do then? He throws a fastball 94 miles an hour right down the middle. It's got hit me written all over it, and Jake Rogers deposits it into the stands for his second home run of the season. The guy hasn't thrown a strike, you know, to three batters. Jake Rogers is smart. He knows what's coming. He knows there's a fastball coming. And Sale just put it in the wrong place. So now it's 2 nothing. You're like, oh, Jesus. I mean, come on, right? They get one back in the third on an RBI ground out by Kike Hernandez. And then Kike, by the way, gets picked off of first base. And you you want to know, I mean, look, you don't have to go any farther than that, than that to know how the, the season started for the Red Sox. Kike Hernandez has 13 career stolen bases. 13! Where the hell's he going? I know stolen bases are easier this year. You know, because you can only throw over to first base, you know, twice before it's a balk unless you pick the guy off. And, you know, and the bases were a little bit. I get all that. But that difference doesn't make Kike Hernandez, Vince Coleman. Calm down. So he gets picked off. So, you know, there you go. And then uh, he gives up, uh, Sale comes in and he gives up a... uh, a base hit to Miguel Cabrera, an RBI single up the middle, and it's 3-1. We're in the third inning. Sox get one back in the fourth. It's 3-2. Okay, well, you know, they get Sale out of there at the end of five. He throws 74 pitches, 46 for strikes. And I guess I'm supposed to be happy 
about Chris Sale's performance. Five innings, four hits, three runs, three walks. Seven base runners in five innings. Okay, you struck out seven. Congratulations. Here's a cookie. But I'm supposed to be happy about that. And it's some of this is a product of where baseball is these days. I remember back in the old days. I always I should I should stop saying that. But do you remember at a time they had a a stat called a quality start? And a quality start generally meant that you went six or seven innings and you gave up a couple of runs. That's what a quality start was. You got your team deep into the game, and you'd only given up a couple of runs. You're, that gives your team a chance to win. That's a quality start. That was not a quality start by Chris Sale. I'm sorry. You know, and you can say, well, you know, he only made one mistake. He gave up the home run. No, he walked three guys on 12 pitches. And I get it. I get it. 48 innings over the last three seasons. I get it. All right. I mean, I know we have to wait. I know we have to be patient, and maybe we won't really know what we have in the 2023 Chris Sale, perhaps until, you know, June. Right? Give him a chance to, to get his feet underneath him and, you know, get eight, nine starts. Then we'll know what we have with Chris Sale. That's that's the that's the uh, conventional wisdom because of all the time he's had off, and that's probably fair. Um, but it's hard when you watch him throw now. It's not just the location issues. His velocity is down, and we knew that was going to be the case. He, you know, the days of him humping the ball up at 98, 99 miles an hour are over. The best you're going to get out of him is 97, and that's probably a couple of times a game. His fastball most of the times yesterday was sitting at 92. Most of the fastballs he threw were 92 miles an hour. And he doesn't seem to have the confidence or the feel on his slider yet. So you, 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 you put those two things together and you say, well, he better figure it out pretty quick because through two starts he's got an ERA of 11.25. And he's walking too many guys and he's giving up too many home runs. So, you know, he better, he better figure that out. It's made a little bit worse right now because of the state of the rest of the Red Sox rotation. You know, in that, you know, you're throwing out guys like Cutter Crawford. You know, I mean, so it makes it seem a little bit worse. But look, um, he ended up getting a win in the game. Merry Christmas, right? I mean, when you come right down to it, he had no business. Uh, winning this game, but the Red Sox bats bailed his ass out when they scored four runs in the top of the sixth. Um, Adam Duvall again with a home run. Drives in three. Adam Duvall has been otherworldly 
for the Red Sox. You know, and this is a guy a lot of people were like, well, you know, he only hit two something for, you know, like 210 or something for Atlanta last year and injuries and uh, he's not a natural center fielder. And you know what? He's been all right out there. You know, is he going to cover the ground that Kike can or, you know, some of the other, you know, better center fielders would know? He probably doesn't belong in – well, he doesn't belong in center field, but it's where the Red Sox roster is right now. We'll see what happens when Trevor Story comes back. But at, at the plate, whew, otherworldly. And Rafi Devers with a couple of hits and a couple of runs batted. And Rafi Devers hit a ball yesterday so hard that it would have been out of, I think they said, 23 ballparks. He had a bomb to center field. And they've moved the fences in at Comerica Park like 10 feet. This this thing still didn't get out. He hit it 108 miles an hour. I think it hit the wall on the fly, left a dent out there. I mean, he crushed that thing. Um, so the offense, which had, again, the last couple of games against Pittsburgh had been comatose, came alive. And they better keep hitting. That's all I'm going to say. They better keep hitting. Um. Kenley Jansen gets his first save for the Red Sox yesterday, you know, and it's so nice to have a guy you can turn to in the ninth inning and not have to panic. Is he going to blow a save or two? Yeah, he always does. Is he older? Yes. He's still a shutdown closer, you know, and it's nice to, you know, I remember when they were bringing Tanner Houck in last year to try to close games, and the first thing I did when I saw him step on a mound was grab for the Rolades or the Tums because it was going to be, you know, fasten your seatbelts. You know, and Ryan Brazier comes in yesterday and pitches. Ryan Brazier, every time he pitches, I, I break out in a cold sweat. You know, the good news is with the with the help that is coming, we may not see Ryan Brazier again or Caleb Ord again unless there are injuries. And I'm begging for that. Um, because Garrett Whitlock threw um, a rehab start yesterday in Portland, Maine and uh, threw six shutout innings, or six one-run innings, I should say. He struck out eight and threw 81 pitches. And he was getting swings and misses, and he will be in the Red Sox rotation next week. He will start Tuesday at Tampa. So it's coming. Brian Bayo is probably a week behind him. He came out of his last start healthy. He's going to do one or two more, but he is coming. And theoretically, if Paxton continues to do what he's doing, he's coming. So Cutter Crawford will be out of the rotation, which means he's either going to the minors or the base or into the bullpen, which means that opens up uh, you know, a spot to get rid of Caleb Ort because he'll be the first one to go. And then Tanner Houck, I'm telling you right now, and, and Tanner Houck's another guy, you know, we're supposed to be excited. He, His last start, he gave the Red Sox five innings and three runs, another quality start. But he's probably going back to the bullpen when Brian Bayo comes because he's better suited for the bullpen, I think, than Pavetta. And then when, when Paxton comes, I don't know what they do. Somebody's got to go down. And it's not going to be Pavetta probably. I don't know what they're going to do. Pavetta's going to end up in the bullpen. You know, that's, but again, you know, health is everything. So um, we'll see. The Red Sox are going to make some changes to the rotation. They're going to uh, flip-flop Corey Kluber and Chris Sale in the rotation. So they're going to uh, uh, break things up a little bit. So Sale 
they're going to keep him on his regular rotation, which is probably smart as he tries to find his way back. Uh, so he will uh, uh, pitch Wednesday at Tampa, and then Kluber will pitch on Thursday. The other thing that's good about this is because Whitlock will pitch Tuesday, they don't have righties going back-to-back. They can have a righty, then sail the lefty, and then the righty in Corey Kluber and kind of mix things up and give the Tampa Bay Rays a different look. And God knows uh, the way the Rays are playing, uh, you need that. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays win yesterday. They complete uh, pounding on the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Kevin Gaussman, six shutout innings for the Blue Jays yesterday. Uh, so tap, uh, so uh, the Toronto Blue Jays now four and three. Uh, the Yankees, of course, were supposed to play yesterday, but the, the games uh, on the East Coast, most of them got rained out. A lot of them were uh, home openers, like the Orioles' home opener with the Yankees. That's going to be played this afternoon. Same thing, uh, the Mets' home opener against the Marlins will be this afternoon, uh, and the Phillies' home opener against the Reds will be this afternoon. But I tell you what, I... I'm going to be watching that Phillies game. I just, I just want to watch the beginning of it and just to see how the fans react. And God help. I mean, Phillies 1-5 to start the season, right? And they're going home for the first time with that hideous record after being the NL champs. And they've got the Cincinnati Reds coming in who are feeling good about themselves because, you know, Cincinnati's a game over 500. Stop the presses. Can you imagine what Philly fans will be like if uh, on their home opener the Cincinnati Reds beat them? It would be a lot like the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, beating the Red Sox. Because when you look at the bottom of the salary structure in Major League Baseball, the Oakland A's are at the bottom, then it's Cincinnati, then it's Pittsburgh. So, you know, and, and, and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh are in the same division. Pittsburgh, four and two. Second lowest payroll or third lowest payroll in baseball. But I'm going to watch that Phillies game today just because I want to see uh, how they react. Uh, but anyway, so the uh, the Blue Jays win yesterday. Uh, Vlad Jr., a home run for the second consecutive game. He had three hits and uh, that that home run in this one. He is hitting 407 to start the season. Uh, Gausman picks up his first win of the season, and Jordan Lyles uh, got drilled. He takes the loss for the Kansas City Royals. I watched the Braves' home opener last night. Fun game. Uh, fun game. You know, but, and, you know, all the time that we're talking about the new rules and, you know, how it speeded up games and yada, yada, yada. Um, that Braves-Padres game last night was like a throwback to last year because it was a nine-inning game, three hours and 14 minutes. Why? Because nobody could throw strikes. The number the number of 3-2 counts in this game was incredible, not to mention the two teams combined to walk 14 batters. Each team walked seven guys. So I don't care. I don't care what the pitch clock is. You know, when you can't throw strikes, games are going to take a while. But the Braves come back and they win it uh, 7-6 in front of a sellout crowd uh, in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, they had 13 hits to just seven for San Diego. Blake Snell got the start for the Padres, and he has really struggled his first couple of starts. Uh, he walked four guys, uh, including a bases-loaded walk to uh, Matt Olson. That gave Atlanta a 4-3 lead at the time. Uh, in uh, his two starts, he has an ERA of 7.88, and he has walked seven guys in those two starts. So if it's <laughs> supposed to be your ace uh, in San Diego, whew, not a great start. But Orlando Arcia, the hero 
for the Atlanta Braves last night. He had a home run in the third. Um, he had a double, and then he singled in the winning run in the ninth inning for his third hit of the game, and the Braves win that one 7-6. R.C. is a guy that was supposed – they thought he was going to be a role player because everybody just assumed that either Vaughn Grissom or Brandon Shoemake, their two top prospects, were going to get the starting shortstop job when Dansby Swanson left to sign with the Chicago Cubs. And they shocked a lot of people when they named Arcia as the starting shortstop. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, it's paid off in spades. He's hitting out of the nine hole last night, and he's hitting 370, right? And, look, I, I, this is why I like the guy. You know, they talked to him after the game. He says, look, you know, Grissom and Shoemaker are really talented. They got a lot of great players. He said, I'm just happy to be here. He said, I'm grateful for the opportunity to play. You'll love to hear that. 44 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. Hey, one other quick note on the uh, the Padres. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., um, who is in the process of playing uh, some rehab games for the El Paso Chihuahuas. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to be in El Paso, geez, next month. Uh, I was hoping to see a game while I'm out there. Unfortunately, they're going to be on the road with them there. But uh, uh, anyway, he uh, he hit an absolute bomb Wednesday night in a AAA game uh, in Sacramento against the Sacramento River Cats. And uh, there was a video that was uh, put up on Twitter showing the uh, monster blast that he hit. Well, Cade McClure, the guy who gave up the home run for Sacramento, took exception to that and uh, then t- cheated out or tweeted out on his own and said, the cheater hits a home run on a rehab assignment during a steroid suspension. <laughs> Uh, like it or not, whether Tatis likes it or not, and he obviously doesn't, uh, he's going to face a lot of that. And, you know, unfortunately for McClure, McClure's a guy that's won his second organization. He's 27 years old. He's got an ERA that's uh, uh, in four numbers. Uh, so, you know, he's not the greatest uh, guy maybe to be firing back at Tatis. However, you know, look, uh, he's 24 years old. He's done some stupid things with, you know, not taking care of himself and, you know, getting in bike ac- or, you know, motorcycle accidents and all this other stuff. And then as he's coming back, he gets banned for steroids. He says it was a cream that he took for ringworm. Right. And I'm the Pope. You know, I, I, lo- I love that kind of stuff. You know, if it was really that, they would have figured it out and you would have you wouldn't have gotten suspended for 80 games. But let me tell you something, you know. These guys think we're all stupid. But anyway, he's going to put up – he's going to have to put up with that. You know, he can – you know, it's going to follow him for the rest of his life, and he does not – in my mind, you get suspended for steroids. I don't care what kind of career he has. I don't care if he hits 600 home runs. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. You cheated. You know, and I've talked about this, you know, till the cows come home and – if you were, you know, if you get suspended during the time of testing, you do not belong in the Hall of Fame. Which is why people that want to keep out guys that were quote unquote cheaters prior to testing, 
you can't do that. You just can't. There's no rule or no reason to keep them out. They weren't suspended for anything, and any evidence that you have is all circumstantial. Unless somebody, unless there's a positive test, it's all anecdotal. Right? It is. I don't care what you say. But Fernando Tatis Jr. is never going to the Hall of Fame. But he's going to have to listen to this steroid stuff and the cheater chants for his entire career, and he's only 24 years old. It's going to be a long, long journey for Mr. Tatis. That is never going away. Uh, the Dodgers win last night. They beat the Arizona Diamondbacks 5-2. to two. Uh, Not a surprise there. The good news is for the Dodgers was uh, Dustin May got the start. Uh, Dustin May ended up with Tommy John surgery in 2021. He looks like he is back. He threw six innings yesterday and was really good. Uh, gave up two hits and a run, struck out five, threw 83 pitches over six innings, and looks like he's got his velocity back. He hit 100 miles an hour. Um, he's only 25 years old. Uh, this could, this guy could be the one to carry the you know the the Dodgers pitching mantle with the uh, decline of the career of uh, Clayton Kershaw. He and Julio Urias are going to be the guys uh, that lead that Dodger rotation from here on out. Uh, the good news, I guess, for Arizona, yeah, sellout, forty eight thousand fans. That's the first sellout in Chase Field since two thousand and nineteen. Uh, speaking of Clayton Kershaw, he will be on the mound tonight. Uh, to pitch for the Dodgers, and he's going to go up against Madison Bumgarner, and uh, a lot of people will be watching this one as well. Bumgarner left his last start and then uh, ended up, checked himself into the hospital because of fatigue, and supposedly he's okay. Uh, they thought he might be hurt, but uh, they said he was fine, and he's going to be good to go, so he will pitch tonight against the Dodgers. So a lot of people will be watching that. Madison Bumgarner is a guy, uh, very outspoken, no question, doesn't like when guys hot dog and stuff like that. But uh, he's a guy that uh, when you watched him pitch when he was with the Giants, he was a warrior, wanted the ball all the time, and they gave it to him all the time, and he responded. So uh, I'm hoping that he's okay and that uh, he can bounce back, but he will pitch tonight. Um, How about this? A pitcher's duel in Colorado. The Rockies beat the Nationals last night 1-0 in a rather tidy uh, two hours and 18 minutes, by the way. Uh, it was Kyle Freeland, six and two-thirds innings, threw four-hit ball, no runs, and then Pierce Johnson uh, throws a perfect ninth, and uh, they win that game by a final of one nothing. Chris Bryant drove in the only run of the game with a single in the fifth inning. It was just the 12th one nothing game in Denver and the 11th, of course, field. The first, the first one nothing game in Coors Field since July fourth, two thousand and eighteen. Don't see that in that rarefied air very often. The Nationals are going to start Mackenzie Gore today uh, against the Rockies, and uh, Jose Urania will start uh, for the Rockies. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the game will not be one nothing tonight. By the way, the Red Sox don't play today. I don't know the last time the Red Sox had a Friday off, but it was a built-in day off because of weather early in the season. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, so uh, they had a, a, a scheduled day off on Friday, and then they will play uh, games uh, two and three of that series on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the White Sox lose to the San Francisco Giants last night. Giants put up 16. Lance Lynn got hammered 
Nine hits and eight runs in four and a third innings for the White Sox. Uh, the Giants just hitting home runs all over the place. Uh, Giants with five home runs in this game. Um, Kari Ostremski, Jr. Actually, he's not Jr., but uh, uh, Mike Ostremski, I should say. Uh, hit his second home run of the season for the Giants, who pounded out 20 hits in this game. Um, hockey last night, the Bruins win in overtime. David Pasternak does it again, his 57th goal of the season, midway through the overtime, uh, and the Bruins pick up another one. That is their 61st victory of the season, 127 points, four games left uh, to win two more games and uh, uh, set the league record for most wins in a season. Um, the Montreal Canadiens, by the way, the regular season record for points, 132. So the Bruins got a shot. Why not? That's about all they have left to play for, that, and make sure nobody else gets hurt uh, prior to the start of the playoffs. Uh, but the Bruins will host New Jersey on Saturday night. Uh, the Predators beat the Hurricanes last night 3 nothing. Uh, the Nashville Predators trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. They right now uh, are on the outside looking in, but they're only a point back of the Winnipeg Jets, and uh, they're in a position where they have a game in hand over the Calgary Flames, who they have to leapfrog to uh, to get to Winnipeg. So they win last night. Mark Jankowski, a goal and an assist, and uh, Juice Saros with 33 saves for the Predators. The Predators have won uh, two straight and three of the last four games. Uh, they will head to Winnipeg on Saturday night. And if they beat Winnipeg Saturday night and then Calgary on Monday night, the Nashville Predators uh, will find themselves in the playoffs. The Seattle Kraken, by the way, the expansion team, they clinched their first playoff berth last night. They beat the uh, Arizona Coyotes 4-2. to two. Uh, They also set an NHL record for uh, uh, most wins for an expansion team in their second year. Uh, since the original six era, which ended in 1968, their 44th win of the season. Philip Grubauer with 27 saves for the Kraken. Uh, college hockey, Quinnipiac out of Hamden, Connecticut, will play for the national championship uh, coming up this weekend. They beat Michigan yesterday to head to the championship game. They beat them 5-2. to two. Quinnipiac, which has set a program record for wins this year with 33 of them, uh, it'll be their third chance at winning a national title. They lost in 2013 and 2016. But, you know, what a great story. Little Quinnipiac from Hamden, Connecticut, the school that most people have never heard of. But they have a beautiful facility on campus. It's a combination basketball hockey facility where they're right next to each other with a concourse going between. It's really a cool place. Uh, Rand Pecknold, the head coach at Quinnipiac, has done an amazing job. Uh, So they will advance to take on Minnesota, uh, who blasted BU last night in the other game. Uh, Minnesota won that one 6-2. Uh, Luke Middlestat with a couple of goals in the third period for this. Minnesota has won five national championships, but they haven't won one since 2003, so they are hungry. They are the uh, the top seed in this tournament. So uh, Quinnipiac and Minnesota for the national championship this weekend. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We're going to leave you with some old-time country music this morning. I'm sure a lot of you will be clicking off really quick, but it's Bobby Bear's 88th birthday 
uh, this morning. And uh, Bobby Bear had a, has had a string of hits in country music back in the uh, 50s and 60s and 70s. This is probably the one that he is best known for. It's Detroit City. Happy birthday, Bobby. We'll see you on Monday, folks. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.